Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I hope everybody's having a great day on this cold but nice and sunny day. It's good to see everyone. It's good to have some of you visiting with us. We're glad you're here. And we hope you'll come again and join us as we seek to follow Jesus here at Lansley Avenue. We're talking a little bit about love some this month. Tomorrow is the big day of love where few hapless people spend tons of money trying to uh, influence the heart of someone else when the best way to do that is to be there and to show that you care about the other person. So maybe don't fall for that trap of shelling out tons of money. For some reason, my father thought about a check, since he's not here today, I'll say this. He thought about sending a couple of roses to some friends of his, one rose. And to send one rose to somebody in Virginia was going to be $175. So he sent a card instead. He's a, he's a wise man sometimes, very, very wise. This morning, we want to talk about uh, something we have discussed here before, but I want to do it a slightly different way. We're going to look at love your neighbor uh, as yourself. When we're in Matthew 22, which Jeff read a moment ago, in terms of what is the great commandment, Jesus answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The first thing we're supposed to do, the embodiment of what's the basis for our religion, our desire and, and need to worship God, is to love God, to love God. The verse which Jesus quotes here is from Deuteronomy, the Old Testament, chapter 6, verse 5. It was part of the Shema, uh, the basic and essential creed, the foundational belief and teaching of Judaism, which every Jewish service still opens with today. If you were to go to a synagogue, this is how the Jewish service opens up. And it is the first text, the first memory verse, if you will, that every Jewish child memorizes. It means that we have to give to God a total love that dominates our emotion, a love which directs our thoughts, and a love which is the dynamic of all our actions. It really has to infuse within us into every part of us and every part of our lives. The love has to be a total commitment of my life for God. And we talked about that some last week, but that is the first and great commandment in this text here in Matthew that Jesus is discussing. <clears throat> the second commandment that Jesus quotes where he says, the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, comes from another book in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. Our love for God must result in love for others. But note the order in which these commandments are given. It is love of God first and love for others second. Well, I think that's important. Why do we love other people? We should come because we love God and because God loves us. We get into sin or a failing of what God wants from us when we get these things out of order. I've talked about this before. The great thinker Augustine, it was 400 AD time frame, long, long time ago, he suggested that most sinful behavior, most people who are engaging in sin, have love for something in the wrong order. It should be God, other people, and things. 
in that order. We get into trouble if we love someone else more than we seem to love God. I've seen that before, where somebody is so in love with another person, if that other person does not want to be a Christian, does not want to attend church services, or wants to change and become uh, some other religion, the person is so in love with that other person, they'll leave God behind. Well, that's sinful behavior because they are loving the other person more than they love God. Or somebody loves things more than they love other people. That's the basic problem that's talked about in the parable of the rich fool. The man is so rich that he says, I can't store it all in my barns and my storage sheds. So what will I do? The correct answer should have been, I will look for ways to help people with all that I have been blessed with. That's not the answer the rich fool gives. He says, I'm going to build even bigger barns. He loved things more than he loved other people. Out of order. It needs to be God, other people, and then things, perhaps, to an extent. So when we're talking here about loving our neighbor as ourself, what does it mean? What does it mean? The story about the question posed to Jesus here in Matthew 22 is also repeated. The same circumstances repeated in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, and in Luke 10. In Luke 10, Jesus is presented in the context as well, following this question in the parable of what we call the Good Samaritan. And the basic thrust of that parable is, is that everybody is my neighbor. Because the next question asked by the lawyer is, well, who's my neighbor? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, tell me who my neighbor is so that I can be sure to love them. And Jesus' response is, anybody and everybody is my neighbor. That's why loving God, loving other people, it's not qualified. Right? It's not love some people. It's not love people who look like me. I mean, imagine what sorry state I would be in if I only loved bald people. That's not what you thought I was going to do. But I mean, if I'm only loving some people, I'm not doing what Jesus wants me to do and what God wants me to do. I need to love God, and then I need to love everybody else much more than I would ever love things. So how do I love my neighbor? How do I love my neighbor? We must help someone even if they have brought trouble on themselves. That's the real thought of the parable of the Good Samaritan. The man goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho, a notoriously dangerous thing to do, seems by himself, and he's essentially bringing trouble onto himself. I mean, we all know there are some parts of towns and certain parts of areas you can go that are more dangerous than others. You can look at a crime map and you can tell sometimes that there are areas of our city that are more dangerous than others. So imagine somebody goes to a, a basic, based on statistics, an area of our town that's more dangerous than others, and the person's there at three in the morning. And my dad used to say, nothing good seems to happen after midnight, right? So, but he's there at three in the morning and gets in trouble, gets injured. The parable of the Good Samaritan says, you still help the person. You don't say, well, I told you so, or, well, shock, surprise, surprise, that something bad happened to you in this part of town at three in the morning. That's not the point. The point is to provide help 
and to show love for other people, even if we might think that they brought this trouble on themselves. The help also has to be practical. Can't merely uh, come from simply being sorry. I'm real sorry that you've gotten into this trouble. And that's all I gotta do, express my sorrow that he is in a rough spot. It can't be that way. It has to generate some sort of action out of it. To be real, compassion, feeling for someone else, loving someone else has to generate action. Has to generate action. And for that, I go to James chapter 2. I know we've read this verse before. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, I sure hope things work out for you, is the thought behind those words in the original. And you say those things without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? None. There is no good from that. There's nothing more dangerous than repeatedly having and a fine emotion, sympathy, or compassion with no attempt to do anything about it. The, the thought, the feeling comes to mind, I feel bad for what's happened to this person, but you don't do anything about it. Eventually, we will get to the point where we'll never do anything Passion to be real has to result in deeds, in action, in action. Now, I'm going to reference, the words are in the handout, reference two songs that uh, I, uh, some of us will know, these are from 20, 30 years ago at least now. One's by Phil Collins, uh, had a whole lot of songs. But he had one that if you read the words in the program, I think should strike the chords, Another Day in Paradise. So please read those words, Another Day in Paradise, for that song. And the other one's from the other MJ, Michael Jackson, not the basketball player and not our MJ, Michael Jackson, his song, Man in the Mirror, Man in the Mirror. Those are great pop songs that ought to, if, if, to remind people Broader, broadly speaking, people that we need to be moved to action to help people. Very, very, very important. Very important. And the reason we love our neighbor, the reason we are moved to action is not I do these things so that God will love me. You know, I get the impression sometimes, especially of younger people, that they may think that way. If I do these things, God will love me. That's not right. I do these things because God loves me. I do these things because he loved me and because I love him, then I want to do these things to serve God and to love my neighbor. You don't do these things trying to win the heart of God. God has already loved us even when we were sinners when we were sinners and we do these things because God loves me. Now, notice something else here. Jesus says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm convinced that sometimes we don't love others because we don't love ourselves. I'm going to stop for a moment. 
Sometimes we don't love other people because we don't love ourselves. <clears throat> Somebody might say, but you don't understand. I'm not special. I'm nothing. You don't know the bad things I have done. You don't know how horrible a person I am. You don't know the problems that I give into every day. I, I can't possibly love myself. God can't possibly love me. That is so, so, so wrong. If you're thinking that way this morning, if you know someone who thinks that way, that is just flat out wrong. God loves us as we us as we are. Consider Genesis 1 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God created us and he created you. He created you. God's handiwork is something he creates out of love. Why did God put man on the earth in the first place? Why did God create woman on the earth in the first place? Because he wanted a group of people who would love him because he already loved that group of people. Here's another passage, Psalm 8, 3 through 5. David says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You've made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. I mean, it, it looks as if it may be a clear night tonight, maybe a little colder. But on a clear night sometime, take the time, even in downtown Nashville, take the time to go out and just stare at the sky at all the lights, all the stars that you can see up in the heavens. The universe is an incredibly vast big place. And in that huge expanse, I mean, it takes our fastest spacecraft 20 years to get all the way out just to Pluto, what used to be the last planet. And it would take 40,000 years at that speed to get to the closest of those stars. The universe is immense. And in that vast, huge place, God cares more about you than he does anything that's out there. God loves you. Period. Period. Don't you ever think that you are unlovable. Don't, because that's not a thought that's ever occurred to God. Why should I love myself? Because God loves me. Why should you love yourself? Because God loves you. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. God loves us so much that he has put into place his plan through Jesus to help us become children of God. We are, in effect, children of God because he's created all of us. He has. But that's the expression of God's love for us, that we would be called his children. 
Ephesians 1, 5, before the world was made, before all those things that we see up in the sky were ever made, before the earth was ever made, before any of that had ever happened, God decided to adopt us as his children through Jesus Christ. This was what God wanted, and it pleased him to do it. Now notice, it pleased God to do it. How did he adopt us as his children? It was by sending his son, Jesus, to the earth and allowing Jesus to die. Allowing Jesus to suffer and die on the cross. And look what Paul says here in Ephesians. It pleased God to do that. How on earth could it have pleased God to allow his son to be spat upon, his son to be beaten, his son to be put on that cross and hanged there until he died? Because he loved you and because he loved me. And that's the only way that he can make us become his children and give us the opportunity to be adopted as his children. I never quite noticed this statement in Ephesians before. It pleased God to allow his son to die so that he could adopt me as his child. That's a whole lot of love. That's a whole lot of love. Romans 5.8 God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, before we even knew God, before we knew Jesus, Christ died for us. Now, if someone says, I am a follower of Jesus, but I just keep making mistakes, God will quit loving me at some point. That's another incorrect answer, another incorrect statement. God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were separated from God because we were living for ourselves, God, it pleased God to send his son to allow him to die, to pay the price for my sins so that he could adopt me as his daughter or his son. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. Christ's love controls us. Jesus' love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. You know, the phrasing and the, the language I have used so many times standing up here, you've got to quit living for yourself and you need to start living for God. I hate to admit this, but I've been plagiarizing from 2 Corinthians right here. He died for everyone. Notice, so that those who receive his new life, not everybody that he died for will do that. He died for all and has given everyone the opportunity. Not everybody will receive his new life, but those who do, those who do receive his new life, will no longer live for themselves. They will have that love that we talked about put in the proper order. They'll quit loving things more than other people. They'll quit loving things more than God. They'll quit loving other people more than God. 
They'll have their lives straightened out. What does that mean? Instead, they will live for Christ. They will live for Jesus who died and was raised for them. Why should I love myself? Look at this passage from Lamentations. Don't read from that book very often. <laughs> Lamentations chapter 3. This is in the middle of some really rough time for God's people in the Old Testament. Bad days had come. Bad days had come. But the writer of Lamentations says, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. In the middle of whatever you have viewed as perhaps the worst days you have ever seen. Maybe you think they've already come. Maybe they'll come at some point in the future. The loss of someone close to us is almost always considered some of the worst possible times. The writer here says, I will never forget this awful time. He's in the middle of some really bad things. As he's grieving over his loss. It's okay to grieve over your loss. Yet I dare, still dare to hope when I remember the faithful love of the Lord never ends. No matter what circumstance you were in, no matter what circumstance I am in, God loves you. And God loves me. Psalm 31 verse 7. I will be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love. For you have seen my troubles and you care about the anguish of my soul. You've seen the circumstances I'm in and yet you still love me and care. We need to remember that. We need to remember that. Why should I love myself? Look at 1 John 4, 11 and 12. We read a lot from 1 John last week. It is a book of love. It really is. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. But I just don't think it's possible to really focus on loving other people until we realize God loves me and I need to be able to love myself. Warts and all. To be able to love myself, failings and all. I need to be able to love myself and the mistakes I still make day to day. Why? Because God loves me. That may be the only reason, but that is certainly a good enough reason to love myself. It's very difficult to love other people unless there's some basic love of yourself. And it's just, I think, such a hard thing for some of us to do because we look at the warts, we look at the failings, we look at the things we have done that we are so sorry about, grieving over, so upset, thinking, how could I possibly have done that? God knew all of those things were going to happen before he created the world. And we just read a moment ago that before he made the first leaf, before he made the first star, he had decided to adopt us as his children by sending his son. You can never get so far from God that God's love is going to go away. 
which can't do it. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God's mercy is great, and he loved us very much. Though we were spiritually dead because of the things we did against God, he gave us a new life with Christ. You have been saved by God's grace. You can't earn that. You can't do all these good things in the hope that somebody, that, that God will love you. Maybe it'll work with another person. You sing outside the window every day for a year, you're probably going to get arrested. But maybe some things like that might work with other people. That's not how it works with God. God loved you before you were ever born. God loved you when you did something that was good. He loves you when you make mistakes and do things that are wrong. He wants us to change, but God loves you. Now, I want you to remember this. I think I've said it a few times this morning. God loves you. I want to change that, and I want you to repeat after me as we say, God loves me. Will you do that with me? Ready? We're going to do it here in just a second. God loves me. Might be good to say that a few times this week. When I think this is the worst day I've ever had, when I realize I have really messed things up, change, try not to mess things up again tomorrow. Don't repeat, make new mistakes, don't make the same mistakes. But saying that out loud may be something that's helpful. God loves me. How did he show that he loves me? By sending Jesus. God's love is revealed in sending his son to die, to pay the price for all the wrong things I've ever done, and to give me the opportunity to change my life, to turn my life around. We call that repent in the big word. To turn away from living for myself, to live for God, to die to my old way of living, and we do that by being buried in water, to be raised to walk as a new person with all those bad things, all those sins forgiven. If you're not yet a member of God's family, please do it today. God loves you and God has been waiting for you to come to him. Please consider to do that today. If you're a member of God's family and you have just not really been feeling the love that God already has for you, if you need us to pray for you or with you, please do that today as we stand and sing.